find our seats, that would be great. Testing one, two, testing, testing. Testing one, two, three, testing, testing. Testing one, two, testing, testing, testing. Check one, two, test, test, test. Testing one, two, three, testing, 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 one, two. If we could find our seats, that would be great. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. I'm going to reiterate what Barry said and just say thank you for being here today. Thank you for taking time out of your day and your schedule to be with us and as we worship the Lord together. And uh, just glad that you're here. I'm going to raise this up. I think it drops as we go along here. I don't want to be sitting on my knees. Uh, it'd be kind of funny. Some of you guys would like to see that, I'm sure, but... Uh, just get lower and lower. Of course, my vision's getting worse and worse. I told you I shared that a couple months ago, and I still haven't been to have my eyes checked. I'll have you know I'm, I'm in rebellion of that. So uh, past my driver's test vision, she said, but I would recommend you get a vision test. And I said, uh, no. Um, isn't it funny that we don't want to admit that we're getting old? All those little things. Wow, I don't know why I said that. Probably because I'm getting old. Um, <laughs> let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Um, Lord, even as we were singing that song, How Great Is Our God, you are really, really great. It's really true. And Lord, we just want to say thank you for your presence that is here. Thank you for the family of God. Thank you for, Lord, each of those who have gathered today, Lord. And uh, we just ask that you would be among us that your promise is that you are here. And Lord, we ask that you'd be with those that are not with us today, and Lord, some people that are suffering, Lord God, they're going through different things, and we just ask that your presence would be very real to them as well. And God, that you would lead us and guide us, and Lord, once again, let your spirit illuminate the word of God to us. Speak to our hearts, and we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, today's uh, sermon, if you're looking for a title, if you like to write stuff down, if you're not, uh, if not, here it is anyway. Um, it's called Unlimited Reach, Unlimited Reach. We've been sharing a little bit, you heard in the announcements about some uh, upcoming opportunities that we have as a church body to minister to those in our community, those in our region. And I wanted to share for a little while this morning about the reach that we have in the kingdom, that we, we have been called, each one of us is to reach out. The vision that I feel like the, that the Lord has spoken over this church is why we exist. For this time, in, in, for, for the time that I'm here, what I feel like the Lord has spoken over us is to reach up to God through a lifestyle of worship and to reach out to others with the life-transforming message of Jesus Christ. That's kind of the, the vision statement that I felt very strongly that is over this church. Again, and, and, and I, want, I want the reason why we do what we do to be 
focused on this statement of why we do what we do. We want to reach up to God through a lifestyle of worship and to reach out to others with the life-transforming message of Jesus, to become worshipers, and then to reach out to those that so desperately need Christ. You could say it this way, to become devoted followers of Jesus and lead others to become devoted followers as well. That's why we exist. And everything that we should do should be on purpose and focus around that theme of reaching up to God and reaching out to others. So as a part of this message, um, I I, want to share my heart with you a little bit about what it means to have unlimited reach, to reach out in Christ. At the end of this message, I have a little nugget that I'm going to give everybody in the room. I'm going to tell you today what God's will for your life is. You should get very excited about that, you know. Just get a stone tablet out and get ready to go here. So I'm going to tell you what God's will for your life. Everybody, every believer ponders this mystery. What does God want me to do? What is his calling for my life? I'm going to tell you today. Everybody's waiting for that. I'm going to reveal that mystery to each and every one of us. So uh, um, hold on. Buckle up. It's going to get good. But as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, as his people, we were created to co-labor with him as he builds and advances his kingdom. Isn't that an awesome privilege and awesome calling for each of us, that we were called to co-labor with him? We understand that he could do it all by himself. We all understand that he has all power and all authority. He does not need us at all. But he has called us and he's created us. You know, part of the purpose is why, we're, why are we even here? What were we created to do? Part of our being here is that we are co-laboring with Jesus as he builds and advances his kingdom. Jesus looked at Peter, said, upon this rock, and he's talking to Peter, he said, I will build my church. Jesus is building his church. It doesn't matter what's going on with the church, Jesus is building the church. And the, and the cool thing that we have in co-laboring with him is that he builds it in and through us and our lives. But we as the church, individuals as a corporate body, we're created for movement, advancement, impact, and reach. We're an organism. We're not an organization. As soon as the church gets treated like an organization, that is a church that is shortly going to die. But we are an organism. We're created for movement, for advancement, for impact, and for reach. But far too long, the church, and when I talk about the church, I'm talking about believers, individual believers, corporate believers, uh, in the corporate setting as well as individuals. We've taken a defensive posture in matters of the kingdom of God. We've become very defensive. We've kind of gotten to a place that we're holding on until Jesus comes. But we were created for movement, advancement, impact, and reach. We've been somewhat like a walled fortress holding down the fort as the enemy pounds away at us. We're trying to survive from one onslaught or storm after the next. The Bible says that we are called to live from glory to glory. A lot of ways we've lived and we're trying to survive from attack to attack. Just kind of wait until that next onslaught of the enemy comes. Now, with that said, I'm not trying to minimize storms in our lives or that we're not supposed to go through, the, through trials. We hear over and over that we do endure trials. 
But I'm simply saying that we sometimes just simply live for the next hit. Standing back, taking hits, taking waves, and hoping that we survive. We are created to thrive, not just survive. Have you ever noticed like when storms come, like tornado preparedness? You know, we the sirens go off and, 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 and everybody is getting ready. And if you've ever been in that situation where you're running downstairs, you know, or in, into your basement and people are getting ready for, for what's going to happen, you're not quite sure. Some of you guys have lived through tornadoes. We had a funny experience um, in Florida when I was in the Air Force. Um, of course, it wasn't funny at the time for my wife. She was very fearful, but uh, it's funny as we look back on it. We had some really, really bad storms that were coming through the area, and, uh, and, and, and the, the, on, we lived on base uh, in an apartment, and uh, the sirens go off on the base, the, the tornado sirens. And it's windy. I mean, it's really, really whipping out there. And uh, Athena grabs the kids. We didn't have basements, but we had this kind of inner room that, you know, we went into. And she's grabbing the kids. And I'm like, I don't think there's a tornado. So I go to the back door. I open the back door. I'm I'm just looking around. And it's windy. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's windy. And, uh, and you know, it's raining and lightning. And I just don't think she's like, hurry up and get into the room. I just said, I don't think that there's a tornado. So I just close the door and go to the room, and uh, we just waited out, and I just really didn't hear much that I thought was a tornado. So I just kind of blew it off. The next day, I'm out talking to my neighbor, Chris, who lives next door to us, and he said, man, did you hear about the tornado last night? I said, uh, no, I didn't think that there was a tornado. He's like, look at that tree over there, and about 30 yards from our house is a big tree snapped in half. The tornado hit that tree, jumped over our apartment, and went, that's how close that was. And I'm literally, <laughs> I don't think there's a tornado. <laughs> Probably not wisdom. But you've been there. You've heard the sirens go off. Everybody goes and hunkers down. We're waiting for this storm to hit. We're, you know, we're not quite sure what's going to happen. And again, I'm not trying to minimize the storms that we go through in the church or as individuals. We go through things. But a lot of times we've lived as the church in the basement and we've hunkered down and we're just waiting and we're not doing anything to advance anything. We're just, we're just waiting. We're hoping that we survive. We come into our walled room here, this building, and we just kind of hope nothing happens and we hope everything stays you know, okay and uh, you know, we don't want to advance anything, but we're just kind of scared and fearful. We're waiting for the next storm to hit. We were called for movement, impact, advancement, and reach. We've lived life on the, the defense. The church has become, in some ways, a place where nothing gets in and no one goes out. And we can become ineffective if we forget that we were created to advance and move the kingdom, that we are co-laborers with Christ in advancing his kingdom, that we're on mission to reach up to him, to find his heart in what he's created us to do, and to reach out to others with his message. We weren't created to build a fortress, but have an open door for people to come in. Jesus even said that, he said, you know, I came for the sick, 
I didn't come for the well or those who think that they are well. The, ho- the, the, the church must become a hospital for the sick instead of a, a waiting room for the saints. We were created to reach out. You notice in, in sports, there's some teams that have a great, they have, they're known for their defense. And that's great. Defense is wonderful. Defense is awesome. But you've got to have some offense to win the game. You know, you can have a baseball team, and they are just amazing defensive players. I mean, they've got every ball covered. They are, they are phenomenal. But if no one on the team can bat, that's a problem. Because, you know, 1-0 is still you lose 1-0. And if you just are all defensive and you're not focused on the offense at all, that's great that you have a good defense, but you're not advancing anything. You're not winning. And you can lose every game by having a great defense. You have to score to win, and that takes offense. The church was created to be an offensive force on the earth. Matthew eleven twelve, Jesus is saying this. He says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. That is an offensive, that's not defensive, that's offensive. Yes, the kingdom is taking some violence, the kingdom is taking some hits, but we don't just stand back, we don't just hunker down and say, well, God save us and Jesus hurry up and come so we can all get up out of here and in the suite by and by. No, we want to be on the offensive and we want to do things until he returns. Jesus, and the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Listen to what Paul says. Romans 8.31, if God be for us, who can be against us? We all hear that. Maybe you've memorized that. But that's offensive in nature. If God is for us, and if we are believers and we're walking with Christ, who can be against us? We're an offensive force. A few verses down in Romans 8.37, he says this, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. You know what conquerors do? They conquer. Hey, very good. I was worried about you guys for a second there. I don't know. What do we do? Um, conquerors conquer. They conquer. They take land. Notice the children of Israel, and it's that, that we can glean so much from the Old Testament when they were in the promised land, and they were to take land, and God had made promises to them, and Sometimes God fought for them, but sometimes they had to advance in the land. They had to be offensive. And they had to conquer. Not just defensive. With Christ, we have unlimited potential and unlimited reach. Paul said this, I, and we can put we, can do all things through Christ who gives us the strength. We can be offensive when we belong to Christ because he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Those are more than just kind of cheesy things we put up on our refrigerator. That's truth. We are to advance his kingdom. And what Paul says, I can do all things through Christ. The key is doing all things through Christ and not our own, not on our own strength, not on our own merit. 
He builds the church, and then the gates of hell won't prevail. That's what he said to Peter. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The way the gates of hell will not prevail against the church is if Jesus is building the church. If we are trying to build our church, we will fail, and the gates of hell will prevail against us. If we are building the church with our agenda, our strength, our preferences, our will, we won't succeed, and the gates of hell will prevail against the church. And we live in a, an interesting time uh, in history where there's lots of stuff going on. I mean, we, spiritualism is at a, a, a huge height right now where people are seeking, they're searching. That's why you have multiple religions all over the place. It's, it, it's not predominantly Christian anymore. You have people that have all kinds of different faiths, people that are searching, people that don't really affiliate with anything. They're just spiritual. And they're searching. They're looking. And you've heard me say this before, but that you have a lot of churches in this nation that close their doors every month. What is happening? Is the church failing? No, because Jesus said, I will build my church. He's going to have a church. He's going to have a remnant. He is building a church. He is advancing the kingdom. So the church is not in failure. Individual churches that maybe cease to exist, at some point, they were building the church on their own agenda, own programs, and their own will, and the gates of hell prevailed against that church, and it failed. But Jesus' church, the kingdom of God, is an advancement. And we have a decision to make. Will we be on his side? Will we let him build the church in and through us? I don't know if any of you watched yesterday, but uh, there was a call to prayer and worship, and in, 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 uh, they had this event in Texas. Athena and I watched it pretty much all day. We just felt like that we wanted to engage with that, and Governor Rick Perry of Texas called this day of, of, of fasting and prayer. And it was so neat because they had different people from different denominations up there praying about all kinds of different things, humbling ourselves as a church, repenting as the church for our failures, making things right with God, getting right with God. It was very powerful, and they interspersed worship and prayer and prayer and worship, and it was a very powerful day. But the very cool thing was is so many different people from so many different walks, different denominations. It wasn't just led by one denomination. And one of the things that said was that, 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 that the church is not going to be about a man. It's not going to be about a superstar. It's not going to be about a personality. It's going to be about the Lord Jesus Christ. He will have a church. He is building the church. It is advancing. And if we are not advancing as individuals and a church, the problem's not with him. It is with us. If we want unlimited reach... We must do the things the way he wants us to do them and not our own. The way we are most effective, the way we'll be most offensive is to embrace his ways and not our ways. But to be the church that advances, to be offensive, we have to have courage as the church. It's getting less and less popular to take a stand for something as a Christian. To make, a, to make a stand when, when, uh, w w with an issue that is very divisive in our nation. And you, you begin to say things, man, you're coming under attack more than ever. So it's going to take courage. But being offensive and being courageous is this. And I prayed this over my own life. And the Lord showed me this several years ago. He said, I do want you to have boldness, but with humility. Passion without pride. 
Because we can be very passionate and be very prideful. and We can just turn people away. But we want boldness with humility, passion without pride. That really is what it means to be courageous as a believer. So how do we do it? How do we have unlimited reach? I'm going to share a few things. And then the last thing I'm going to share is God's will for all of our lives. So stick around. The way we do it, number one, is humility and meekness. Humility and meekness. I can't drive home to you how important it is for us to be humble. Paul said, take the same attitude as Christ who took on the form of a servant. It was his way of of, of doing the kingdom. He came in humility. He was born in humility to a lowly virgin girl in a stable. He didn't show up with a crown and robes. He came in great humility, and his statement from the very beginning of when he landed on planet Earth was humility to the point where he humiliated himself and took up the cross for us. We have to understand that the kingdom is advanced. Our reach will be limited if we are not walking in humility as Christ did. I love what John the Baptist, as he made this declaration about Jesus, he said, I must decrease, he must increase. That is the way you advance the kingdom. I must become less, he must become more. The extent of our reach is directly proportionate to Jesus increasing and us decreasing. You want to reach farther? Decrease more. That's the way of the kingdom. It seems like it doesn't make much sense, but that's how Christ did it. That's why the Pharisees who had all, the religious people of the day, they had all the prophecies about him. They knew the law, they knew the prophets, and Jesus is in their midst, and they miss him entirely because they had their eyes on the wrong thing. And we can miss Jesus entirely if we have our eyes on the wrong thing. And the way we advance is to decrease and become less, and he must become more. But again, the extent of our reach is directly proportioned to Jesus increasing and us decreasing. The more we decrease and the more he increases, the greater our reach will be. Because in that place is we have more capacity to have the life of Christ manifested in us. The less of me that is, is, is up front, the more the Holy Spirit is there and can impact and, and, and create more reach. With humility, I talked about meekness, and Jesus said this, the meek shall inherit the earth. Well, what does that mean? Is meek being a doormat, laying down and going, you know, whatever you want to do, to, you know, just step on me, wipe your feet on me, that's fine. That is not what meekness, meekness is not weakness. In fact, meekness is great strength. The word meek, if you look at it and you study it, 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 it it's likened unto a massive war horse that is under control. So it's actually power under control. You've seen those powerful war horses you've ever seen these pictures of these gigantic horses, and they are absolutely powerful. But they are paying attention to the master who is riding them, and so they are great power under authority. Great strength under the authority of the master. And so they will go into harm's way without turning to the left or the right without freaking out. These horses are trained to go in the midst of battle with the master on their back saying, I trust the master. And that is what it means to be meek. 
The meek shall inherit the earth. And again, when Jesus says the meek shall inherit the earth, he is, it's, it's humility, it's power under control, and what he's saying is will advance. And there's the word, it, it, it's a conquering word, it's an offensive word. The meek shall inherit the earth. We are called to advance the kingdom and to be offensive. We will make a huge impact if we promote Jesus more and ourselves less. This is a counterculture idea. Again, I quoted this before, Isaiah 55. God says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Because culture, the culture that we live in is self-promoting. We promote ourselves. Look at me, pay attention to me. Uh, let me show you what I can do. And Jesus is saying, no, I, I don't want you to do that. I want you to promote me and yourself less. That will help us to have a great impact the way of jesus you want more be less you want to gain your life jesus said you want to gain your life lose your life for my sake and you will find your life and didn't that sound mysterious when he would teach that way and you look at the gospels and you're like what are you trying to say it seems mysterious seems backward and he's like you know you want to gain your life lose your life you want more be less and that is the way of the kingdom that is what he modeled he came and he wasn't very impressive. Isaiah says that he didn't have this form that we would be drawn to him. He was just plain and humble. And yet his life had great impact. Humility and meekness. Number two is holiness. We need a return to holiness like never before in the church. What is holiness? Holiness is simply doing things God's way and not our own. We need it, being holy, it means that having a revival of integrity and godly character and right living, and the church must model that for the world. It is the life of Christ manifested in us and through us. Holiness is not about following a set of rules or being good. If it was about being good, then it's just like, well, good luck in being good. Well, I'll just try to be a little bit better. Now, the word holiness has gotten a lot of negativity because we've attached it to legalism. You know, and, and we, are, we are told not to lean in legalism. Paul went against legalism in, in, in Galatians, where we're not under the law anymore. When you're in Christ, you're not under the law. But that doesn't, that's, what he also says is that because you're under Christ does not mean that that gives you permission to live however you want because of grace. We don't use grace as a license to live how we want. That's what it means to be holy, is to live God's way. It's not legalism. If we understand what it really is. It's to realize that we aren't basically good in ourselves. We're not holy in ourselves. Part of the men's group uh, last week, they, I, I was just kind of struck by what the guy shared. We've been going through the, uh, uh, the men's fraternity, and he talked about the, the, the wound that everybody deals with, and it's the wound of sin, that we're all depraved. That's why Paul also said, all have fallen short of the glory of God, and all of us are included in all. There's none, none good, no, not one. It's, it, it's not that there was a group of human beings that figured out how to be good enough without Christ. We're all depraved. 
We're all broken. We're all lost. And we all need Jesus desperately. That is why, folks, we have to gaze at the cross of Christ. If we were basically good, you could remove the cross. But if you look at the brutality of the cross and everything that Jesus endured and suffered, what it should do is make us fall on our knees and say, Jesus, thank you. I love you more. Because that reveals what I'm about. And you had to die for me. And I'm not basically good. I'm basically evil. That's my nature. But that's why we need him. And repentance is the key to holiness. Repentance simply is turning from what or how we were doing or where we were going and calling, and calling the shots and turning to him and his ways. It's literally, I'm going this way, I'm not going to go that way anymore, and I'm going to go this way, and I'm going to go God's way. I'm not in the driver's seat anymore. I'm not calling the shots anymore. That's what repentance means. But with that said, let me, under, let, let, let me help you understand something. Repentance and holiness are only understood truly in a place of freedom if we understand the place of intimacy and love. If we miss that, then it becomes legalism and rules to us. But if we understand repentance and holiness in the place of love and relationship with Jesus, it will actually free us to live holy. And it's not just, here's a set of rules, live by them, and if you don't, away with you. It's saying, Jesus, I love you so much. And as I look at the cross, I am broken and I'm undone of your great love for me because it, he demonstrated his love through the cross. And now because of your intense demonstration of love, I want to live for you. I want to live with you. I want you to call the shots and I want to live a holy life because I want to please you. And as you walk in that loving relationship, you become more conformed to the image of Christ and you want to live a holy life. Because if it, if it boils down to our goodness, then it's me over here just trying to live good. And I'm, you know, just trying to muscle through it. Willpower, you know, I'm, oh, I was struggling with that. And I'm just going to try to muscle through not struggling with that anymore. That'll only last for a while. But true transformation will never come out of that. It is walking with him in intimacy and relationship. And so if you don't get that right, you'll never understand holiness and repentance the way God wants us to. relationship with him but out of our love for him we follow him and his ways we embrace him jesus said in john 15 he said you're my friends if you follow my commandments if you do what i say it, it, it's a place of friendship if you understand friendship you will follow my ways and it leads us to right living So the more we fall in love with him, the more we want to live his ways. Listen to Galatians 5. If you want to turn there, you can. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16 through 21. Because right after this is the fruits of the Spirit in which we are measured by our lives, and that, that's the proof of the, of the Spirit. But at, the, at, at verse 16, and if, you have, if your Bible has like titles or these little headings, um, mine says, Living by the Spirit's Power. Living by the Spirit's power. 
What does it mean to live by the Spirit's power? Listen to what he says. This is, this is Paul's definition of living by the Spirit's power. Galatians 5, verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Did you hear that? Let the Spirit guide you, and you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. So there's a battle in us. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And listen, he gives a list here. And the reason why he does, he says, I want to pinpoint some things in your life, not to bring you shame, not to bring you under condemnation. But he says, if you let the sinful nature rule in your life, here are the things that, 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 that will naturally flow. And it's important that we hear this, not in a place of hellfire and brimstone and the hammer of God, but actually it's freedom from these things. He said, if you follow the sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. And then he gives a sobering message. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. What is Paul trying to convey there? And we can get underneath the load and say, well, he's just, man, that sounds condemning and legalistic. No, he's saying, I want your freedom from those things. I don't want you to live like that because if you're living that kind of life, it will rule you all the days of your life and you will actually have no freedom. You will have no satisfaction in your life. You will have no true joy and contentment and peace. It will just lead you the way that you want to go and it ultimately leads to destruction. And so living by the Spirit's powers, allowing the Spirit of God to rule in our hearts. That is what it means to live holy. Because of your love for Jesus and his love for you, he's saying forsake these things. Walk in holiness. God says be holy for I am holy. Isn't that an overwhelming passage? Can you imagine God coming up to you and he goes, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be holy like I'm holy. And man, you could just feel the overwhelming weight of that. He says, but let me, let me let you know how it's done. It's receiving Christ. It's receiving the sacrifice of my son. It's receiving him in a loving relationship and allowing his life to lead you. Then you will walk holy as I am holy out of a place of love. But today, I, I want to ask, what do you need to turn from? Did one of these things on the list, did it strike a chord in your heart? And if you need to turn from one of those things, do it because of love. Don't do it because of rules. It'll never last. That's why even 
as a parent, you know, you can, you can, you have rules and standards in your kids' lives, but if they don't understand in a place of love, it's very confusing. If you're just a dictator and say, don't do this just because. None of us like discipline. And he, the Hebrews writer says this in Hebrews 12, discipline is, is it's, it's hard for the season, but it really produces righteous living. And it's wonderful. And we really are children of God when we endure discipline. But do it because of love. What are you doing that you need to turn from? The church must be to, uh, to reach farther, to extend our reach into the world, to extend our, our emphasis and in, in, in in, in, in what we do in the world to make them take note is going to, because, because we're walking in holiness. What are you doing? What are you watching that needs to stop? What are you listening to that needs to change? And again, it cannot change out of willpower. It will only change through surrender to Him. So humility, meekness, holiness, the third way is to unlimited reach is to go. It is hard to extend our reach if we live inwardly focused. If we make it all about us and what's happening for me and how this benefits me, we are, we're going to be very limited. Jesus, in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion, he said, go into all the world, preach the good news, preach the gospel, go into all the world. But where has God put you? Who has he put in your path to reach, to love? to show compassion. We are told to go. Jesus even said, he said, you're the light of the world, but he also said, you're the salt of the earth. Did you know that salt wasn't intended to stay in the shaker? And that's a silly thought, but it's put in there. It's not for decoration. It's to be sprinkled on food. You know, and we sit there, we don't think, how do I get that, you know, I'd like for that salt to be on my food. How, well, you have to pick it up, and it has to be shaken. It has to come out. And, and, and again, let me, let me kind of paint a picture for you. That when, when at the beginning, when I was talking about that the church, we've, we've hunkered down, and we've kind of become this fortress. It's like all the little pieces of salt, and that's who we are. We are supposed to season and be seasoning to the world. It's like us getting together in the salt shaker and go, all right, whatever happens, hold on. You're going to get shaken. They're going to try to get us out of here. But let's bind ourselves together against the wall, whatever we need to do to keep from coming out of that shaker. And a lot of times the church has lived that way. We're going to live in here. We're going to, I don't want to be shaken. I don't want to go out there. And we're holding on. And Jesus is trying to say, you know, come on. Have you ever had those salt shakers that really nothing comes out? They just frustrate you? I'm like, I don't know why that. You just want to pop a hole in it and so you can get it out. But we're intended to flavor the world with the presence of Christ. You're the salt of the earth. We need to get out of the salt shaker. Christine Kane says this, we, we are called to be fishers of men, not keepers of the aquarium. What a great quote. Because we have the good news in us. We have Jesus in us. We have the resurrection and the life in us. He's the light of the world. He's the Savior. We have hope. We have peace. We have joy. We have love. We should be 
excited about going out and advancing the kingdom when we have him within us. Paul says this, Ephesians 2.10, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the things he planned for us long ago or good works. We were created for good works that a long time ago God planned for you and for me. And he had a plan for your life to do good works, to advance the kingdom of God. We are God's masterpiece, created to do the things that he planned for us a long time ago. But we have to go. Created in Christ to do good works, not just works of humanism, but works of Christ. There's a lot of humanistic organizations out there that are doing some really good things across the world. What would happen if the church would grab hold of the mission of Jesus to go out there to be the salt of the earth and to be the light of the world, to carry him into all the world? If the church would grab hold of that, people that claim to be born again, people that are walking with God would just say, I'm going to do my part. We would impact the world. We would impact this, this whole planet on a scale like we've never seen. But we have to get out, out of here. We have to advance. We, have, we were created for movement and advancement. Again, not, it's works out of love, not just duty. Our, our lives should echo the testimony of John the Baptist. As John the Baptist went out and Jesus came up, he just looked at him and said, Behold the Lamb of God. You know, that should be our anthem. That should be how we live our lives. When people see our lives, it should be, Behold the Lamb. That when they look at me, they should behold the Lamb and His work in my life. We should live lives that behold the Lamb. So we need to go. The fourth way, it's the most important, and here's the part I'm going to tell you, God's will for your life. If you didn't write anything else down, this might be a good one to do. This is God's calling, His purpose, and His destiny for every single person on planet Earth. God's call for your life. And that is to bring Him glory. We exist to bring glory to Jesus. Ephesians 3, if you want to turn there, I'm going to be wrapping up with this. Ephesians chapter 3. We love this passage. Most of you will be familiar with it. Most of you have maybe memorized a portion of it, but I want to look at this and what Paul is trying to say. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, verses 20 and 21. It says this, Now to him, we need to remember the, the him that, that Paul is talking about. He's talking about Jesus. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more in other words, above and beyond, more than we could ask or imagine or think according to his power that is work within us. Again, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We love this passage. We talk about the immeasurable, infinite things that God can do in us. But what we do is we, we miss the bookends of, of this passage. Because if, if you just get focused on that God can do in me or do for me 
immeasurably, infinitely more than I could ask or imagine, we can get very self-focused there. Because you know what, folks? I can imagine some huge things. I, mean, I can imagine a house that is just massive. A Mercedes. Because he could do above uh, anything I can imagine, right? But those things are about me. And we miss the, the bookends of what Paul is trying to drive home. He says, now to him who is able to do anything more than we could even ask or imagine, to him be glory. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. We've looked at that passage as something that he can do for me. Instead of saying, God, what do you want me to do for you? To him be the glory. His work in us should bring him glory and not gain for us. And this is beginning to trans transform the way I pray. Our prayer should not even be, God, what do you want me to do? And that's what I talk about. People get, people get very crippled with analyzing what God wants them to do. What do you want me to do? If he would just tell me what he wants me to do, what decision I want to make. Well, I got this, you know, I've got A, B, C, D, or E, or maybe none of the above. I just, I, I need direction in my life. And have you ever been there? Are you there right now? Have you ever been in those seasons? God, what in the world do you want me to do? I've been there. I've groaned those prayers. Do I do this or do I do this? And man, then you do this and you go, oh, maybe I should have did that. And you're just, you're just messed up going, I think I blew it. Our prayer should not be, God, what do you want me to do? But God, how can my life bring you glory? Instead of God saying to us, here's what I want you to do, we want his word to be, be I want to be glorified in and through you. Our prayer should be, God, I don't want to be seen. I want you to be seen and not myself. I don't want to draw people to myself. I want to draw people to you. How can my life bring you the most glory? That should be our prayer. Because in that place, and you start living that way, it doesn't matter what season you're in. It doesn't matter what you're doing because the, the, what we're doing is really not that important in, 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 the, in the realm of eternity. I'm not saying it's not important at all. But it puts less focus on what we're doing, and it puts all the focus on Him, and that's the point. Is, and then in every circumstance, He gets glory. Even in the job that I hate, He can get glory. In this tough season that I am, I'm in, He gets glory. Maybe you're dealing with a sickness. He can still get glory through that. Maybe you're going through a, a horrific time and season. I'm not trying to minimize that, but you know what? He can still get glory in and through your life. He can still be seen. You can still find him. As opposed to you're just locked down and you're just saying, I'm waiting until this just gets over. He can still get glory out of your life. God, I want to bring you glory even Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. John 16, 14, it says, He, talking about the Holy Spirit, will bring me glory. 
it's always about glorifying Jesus. The work of the Spirit is about glorifying Jesus. The power of the Spirit is about glorifying Jesus, not bringing attention to us. Bringing Him glory is the way to contentment, it's the way to peace, and it's the way to joy. Because I'm I'm not talking about earthly contentment, earthly joy. I'm talking about eternal hope and eternal peace in our lives. And that's the way we can get glory in every circumstance of life. And that's why Paul said, whether I'm rich or poor, hungry or starving or filled, I can find a contentment in Christ because I want to bring glory to the name of Jesus. Whether I'm healthy or sick, whether things are going great or things are going awful, Jesus can still get glory from my life. That is God's call for every human being on planet Earth is to bring glory to Jesus. When we live in the place of bringing glory to the name of Jesus, our reach will be unlimited. We can reach into the farthest regions with our lives because we are all about bringing Him glory and He can use us in however way He sees fit. Let's close in prayer. Just encourage you in the quietness of your own heart and God sees your heart. He sees you. He sees the season that you're in. He sees the the life that you're living right now. And just encourage you to just allow his work to happen in your heart. Because as I pray, this is a call to these things. This is a call to humility and meekness. It's a call to holiness. It's a call to go. And it's a call to live a life that brings glory to Jesus. Whatever area, whatever, whichever one of these is touching you in some way or the Lord is directing, I, I, I just encourage you, as you are sitting there, just to begin to get things right with God. Begin to talk to Him. So Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, God, over each person in this room pray, God, Lord, as you have called each of us as to be a part of the church, the body of Christ, you've, you've called us to reach. Lord, you've called us with unlimited reach. Because, God, we can do, through Christ, we can do immeasurably above anything that we could ask or imagine. But we can touch the world around us. We can see the lost get saved. We can see the captives go free because that was your mission, Jesus. You said, I came to bind up the brokenhearted, to set captives free. And Lord, we want to be on mission with you. We want to reach out. And I pray, God, that as the church, we would respond to you, God, that we would be humble and meek. We would be under the authority of Christ, being, having power under control. And I pray, God, today for anyone that's dealing with the issue of of, of just asking God, I I need to be more humble. I need to embrace humility at a greater level. I pray for them right now, God. I pray, Lord, that, that we would take on the attitude that you had, Jesus, that you didn't come flashy, but you came in humility, and humility is actually great power. 
Lord, I pray for holiness. I pray that, that, Lord, we would understand your invitation to us to holiness is in a place of relationship with you, loving Jesus. It's not about a set of rules, but it's following and having your life in us. Lord, and I pray for those today. And I want to just pause on this one. And if there is something, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm not trying to bring embarrassment to you. I just want for courage to say, you know what, one of those areas, there's some things that I need to get right with God. And the call of holiness. And there's been some things that I just, I, I need God's help and I need God's strength. I need God's love to help me live the right way. And, and as I read some of those things and you say, yeah, you know, that, that pinpoints some areas of my life that are not under the Lordship of Christ. I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, you can put those down. I just want to pray for you right now. Jesus. Lord, you see the hands that went up, Lord God, the things that we deal with. Things that Paul mentioned in that passage, Lord God, that we all struggle with. Lord, and there is a war going on within us. And Lord, we want to live holy lives before you. We want to embrace you. We want to embrace the cross, which is the very power of God. We want to embrace holiness. So God, we lay those things at your feet. And Lord, we just say, God, we, we can't just walk from here today and, and do it out of willpower. We need your love and your life in us and through us. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for taking our shame and our sin upon yourself. Jesus, we confess that we desperately need you, God, and more than willpower, Lord, we need Jesus in us. Lord, I pray, God, that we would go into all the world, that we would be the salt of the earth, that we would not just live a life that is just hunkered down and waiting for the next thing to come. And Lord, we want to live in advancement. We want to go. We want to reach those you have called us to reach. We want to touch those you've called us to touch love those you've called us to love. And Lord, most importantly, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would bring glory to the name of Jesus. That everything that we do, the lives that we live, would bring glory to you. That you would be exalted. That you would be honored above all. And that our lives would bring you glory. I pray, God, for each and every person here, Lord, whatever season of life, Lord, whether it's good or bad, um, uh, Lord, uh, as far as circumstances are concerned, I pray that you'd get glory. I pray that you would get glory. That you would be seen above all. God, our highest aim is that we wave the banner of Jesus and we say to the world through our, our lives and the way we live, behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. How great is our God. Jesus, we love you today and we exalt you. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. I hope you have an awesome week, an awesome day.